Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all kinds of things, transportation, heard all over the world, including in the recent hotspots like Canada, Mexico, Germany, and Ireland. Lots of downloads in Ireland recently, so hello to you as well. I would do an Irish accent, but I can't do it justice. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I'm one-time pedestrian advocate, current car advocate, Joseph Peters. Also can't do an Irish accent, accent, but uh, what up, Canada? I was just up in the mountains of Colorado, and it was glorious. It was crowded. There were a lot of people up there, especially a lot of campers. It is busy in the mountains. I was in the Buena Vista, Salida area, Mount Princeton area. Visited some hot springs up there. Really cool, really fun experiences. And it was very crowded with campers. It was also a little bit more crowded than, for my comfort, in the hotels. A lot of hotel dwellers. We were up there during Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we had a lot of folks there with us. There was a wedding there on a Friday. And so it it is not quite business as usual, but it's it's almost there. Uh, in parts of in parts of not only my state but but other states and I'm sure it's like that just about anywhere else the pool was a little bit more crowded than I was comfortable with uh, but uh, the kids had a great time on the water slide and and in the river and so it was uh, it was a good time and what you call business as usual may actually be a ticking time bomb right Where, did you oh, see yeah. a lot of masks out there I know most people if they're going inside because businesses now are under the mandate have to have the mask inside and so most people if not everybody was wearing their mask not at the pool the pool if you're in the pool or on the pool deck you you're not nobody's wearing a mask and so uh, it was the same thing in the river. So at the hot springs, at the river, there's actually a part of the river where the hot springs are bubbling up from the river. So you have a, mm. these little pool areas where it's a mix of the warm, or I guess really it is hot water, and the cold runoff from the uh, from the icy slopes just down the way. And so that's a fun experience because you, you touch the rocks and you dig just down a little bit, and you can feel the really hot rocks and, and hot water coming up from the ground. And then it's a nice relief from the uh, snow runoff that's coming through the river. Uh, and so that's a lot of fun. And nobody was wearing masks there either. So it, it depended on where you were going. Restaurants, the outside people, there were a lot of people outside the restaurants in the uh, with some of the main streets that were closed down. And uh, nobody was wearing masks there. But And nobody was wearing masks really outside. It was really inside that people were wearing masks. And that uh, same thing at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo when I visited there. Um so a lot of people, since that's an outdoor place, people, for the most part, you know, I would say it would be half and half, people wearing masks and not, the other half not. Gotcha. Gotcha. Ain't nobody being mean about it either. No, nobody was being mean about it that I saw. Um, I even saw some, uh, you know, political masks on people as oh, well. Good. So everybody's everybody's got on the mask bandwagon. Oh, yeah. By, and another special announcement, by the way. I don't know if this is breaking news, but this is definitely another special announcement. We are now on Spotify. Oh my! Isn't that huge? We're all over the it place finally now. Happened. It finally happened. We're on Spotify. <laughs> you can find us on just about every podcast app there is out there. Um, of course, we get a lot of our listeners on Apple iTunes. We get a lot from Podbean, the P, uh, the the place that hosts the the show. Uh, Google. We get a lot of uh, listens from that. And now we have Spotify, which is pretty cool. I'm pretty happy about it. I mean, Spotify is the gold standard, right? And by the way, Spotify, if you're still spending money, we're right here. 
We, we are right here to create all the content you have ever wanted. Ever wanted. It's right here, all for you. Uh, coming up in just a bit, I have an interview with Will Barber, and it's a really fascinating conversation. Will is a research scientist for the Institute of Software Integrated Systems at Vanderbilt University. It sounds like it's a pretty smart, high-minded kind of job, and it is, because Will is a, a high-minded kind of guy. And Will and a few others came together to research traffic post-COVID. They call this research The Rebound, How COVID-19 Could Lead to Worse Traffic. It's an interesting topic. They have a whole uh, research paper, basically, you know, d uh, dedicated to this whole topic. And they say that it really comes down to how many people who used transit in the past before COVID, how many of those people will come back to transit when we all come back to the office? That's how much we will uh that's how we will determine how much more traffic we'll see and how much more congestion we'll see on the roads post covid than we did pre covid uh but th th it's going to be a, a big question about when we're all going to go to the office i don't think i'm going back to the office till next year now uh, cbs the national people they they're not coming back until at least next year early next year they've already made that announcement get used to staying at home because you're going to and if that's the case it's like the school system. Once one school system says, we're going to delay a week, all the school systems do it. And then once one school system says, we're going to start uh, remote learning uh, and then maybe come back in la at Labor Day or a little bit after, then they're all going to do that. So once some of the big boys start doing it, all, all, all the companies are going to start making those announcements. Well, what makes you roll your eyes is that you can't make the long-term commitment now. Like, do we really, we don't, we don't have a vaccine that's going to be ready for at least three months. Why would we ever believe that it would make sense for us to go back into the classroom? It's not like suddenly six feet in social distancing is not going to be the norm and not going to be the thing that knocks this virus down. I mean, it's just a lack of accepting the current circumstance, this desire to push things off by a couple of weeks. Maybe if we wait a couple of weeks, the virus will have calmed down and everything will go back to normal. That is not how it's working. That's just not how it's working. And it's not fair to everybody here that we keep dragging it out in these two to three week increments instead of making decisions four and five months at a time. Yeah. And that's that's probably what we're going to have to look at here in the future. Um, but anyway, that interview with Will will be coming up in just a bit. But first, we, we I was just mentioning about how we have several listeners there in Germany and many places in the world. We also talked about the mask mandate, not only here in Colorado, but other places around the United States. It's compulsory, uh, compulsory, that's not even a word, is it? Uh, in many places around the world, masks, you have to wear them on public transportation. It is like that in Germany, but not everyone seems to understand how to wear them correctly. Have you seen them where they're just over the nose and not the mouth, or just over the mouth and not the nose? Apparently, yep, they have that problem in Berlin, where a lot of people are wearing it just over the mouth and not over the nose and mouth. So Berlin's transportation operator is taking aim at those people who are leaving their noses exposed and using this as a weapon, body odor. <laughs> the onion -y, oh, onion-y B.O. Everybody knows onion-y B.O. The worst B.O. Brats and beer B.O., right? That's the worst. Exactly, especially when they're rubbing it under there. Berlin transportation Ugh. operator BVG is appealing to all their commuters to stop using deodorant. And that way they're encouraging people to wear their masks properly on the public transportation because 
if you can smell somebody else, you're going to want to cover up your nose with your mask the right way. Perfectly reasonable. Right? Perfectly reasonable. So the company decided in a bright yellow ad that was posted on social media, it says, given that so many people think they can wear their masks under their noses, we're getting tough. It's not unusual, apparently, to see people wear it, wearing their masks incorrectly in Germany, or, or really here at home or anywhere. Uh, but the BVG said that it was hoping that the power of body odor, which obviously can be, I think, more pungent in the summertime, packed in an underground subway tunnel, can maybe offer mask wearers the opportunity and the encouragement to change their ways. Therefore, when you smell someone who doesn't smell great, you'll cover up your nose as well as your mouth. So when do I get to put on deodorant, though? Never. Maybe when you're like, off when the train. I, and when then do I get to smell good? <laughs> I know. How, how does this affect the rest of my life? Is everybody at the office and at the uh, coffee shop then when you get off of the train going to have to smell you then for the rest of the day? Are you all just stanky together? Like, yeah, we're just going to bathe in this, really absorb it, lean in, be who we are in Germany. You know, I used to work with a guy. Uh, I, should I t- give his name or not? No, I guess I won't give his name. No, you should not. Why not? You should not. I don't think he's working. I, his name is Chuck Burroughs. And he was, oh, I'm telling you, fine. he was the smelliest guy. Uh, we. This is when we opened Airwatch America. This is forever. This is like 20 years ago. All right? This is a long time ago. And it was a traffic operations little center, and uh, they wanted me to help start it. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, one of the guys, Chuck. He he was uh, the producer before me, and he, oh man, he, I, we had to have an intervention with Chuck and ask him to please make sure that you're not smelling up the office because it wasn't good, it wasn't fun, it wasn't nice, and uh, it was quite odiferous. How did the intervention go? Uh, it went as you could imagine. He got mad, and and then eventually he smelled better. <laughs> so mission accomplished. <laughs> All right. All right. There you have you it. Take the short term mad for the long term. For the long term good. Benefit for everybody. Uh, just recently, BMW they launched a comprehensive software update on many of their cars, and what it does is includes digital personalization and on-demand functions. So what does this mean? So just think about the way you use, let's say, uh, stuff at your house or uh, other 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 things that are on a, on a subscription basis. That's basically mm-hmm. what BMW is doing. So they install all the necessary hardware and software during assembly in all their BMWs now. So later on, some of it, all of it, None of it could be activated or deactivated according to the driver's preference. So BMW envisions the situation where, for example, let's say you, Joseph, owned a BMW and you wanted a feature that wasn't requested when you when you bought the car, right? So let's say you wanted okay. let's say you wanted to get those heated seats, right? Well, the heated seats are actually part of the car, but they're just not turned on. It's just not an option that you can use until you pay a subscription service fee to turn on that part of the car or the heated steering wheel or the lane assist or any of these features, adaptive cruise control, 
all of those things can then be turned on or off with this subscription service. So hackers, first of all, like you can just hack this thing, right? It's like you hack your cable and all of a sudden I got HBO, I got Cinemax, I got Showtime, I have all the movie channels. You're just going to hack your car and now I have heated seats. I have, <laughs> it can go 200 instead of 180, all that, right? I mean, that's all there is to it. Yeah. And we and I talked to, uh, we did a, I did a show about that a couple po- uh, podcasts ago, uh, talking about how your car could be hacked. Take a look, take a, take a listen to that interview because it's quite fascinating about how some of these systems could be uh, a, a hacked into by somebody maybe with ill will or even with maybe yourself who wants to turn these things on and off because the, the plan really requires the car to have all these options already installed when it leaves the factory, even though those features not, might not be used. Because it, it seems more expensive that, it, that, that they would make cars like that but obviously it's easier to do that because then every car leaves the factory the same way, equipped with the same features. So it doesn't matter if you buy it new or you're buying it resale that you can turn on or off some of those features. Well, okay. But here's the secondary issue that I have with this. Why in the world do I have to pay a subscription now to use like the best parts of my car? Heated seats? Are you kidding me? What the French toast? Like, I can't have heated seats unless I pay a subscription fee? What happened to the days when I just, like, I paid for the car and I got the stuff that was in the car? Nope. Like, I just, I, I get it. You know what I mean? I get it. I have it. It's mine now. I don't need a subscription fee on top of that. I have a word for you that describes all of this. It's called microtransactions. Microtransactions. They're better known as in-game, in-app purchases. That's how it works. You've seen those on apps or in games. It, it makes gamers really infuriated because you're basically charging them more money to enjoy the game that they already bought. Same thing yep. as your point. It's yep. charging you more money to use the features in a car that you already bought. And your car is going to have all that necessary hardware included, uh, you, and you still have to pay, pay the gas to haul it all around, but you're also going to have to pay that subscription fee just to turn on those features. So what well, happens? Not even that. Not even that. Here's my biggest issue with it. And I want to make sure we don't lose sight of this. You pay for the car. I pay for the car for six years. I make all my payments on the car. I own the car now. I'm still paying a subscription fee to the company that made the car so that I can continue using the best features of the car, even though I spent six years and, and signed over on loan and did all these things so that allegedly I would have full ownership of the car. How do you not own the car and not own the ability to have heated seats after you pay on it for six years? Five figures. That's absurd. Not only that, but once you sell the car to some other rube like me, then that doesn't necessarily mean that I get to use your heated seats. If you paid the Mm. subscription fee to use the heated seats and I don't, it doesn't come with the car. So I don't get heated seats even though you did because I'm not paying that subscription fee. That's what is really a pain in the butt with this whole thing. But BMW thinks this is the way forward. And this is I say boycott BMW. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm certainly not going to buy a BMW anytime soon. Well, I'm not either. I'm not going to buy any other car real soon because I have two already, two used ones. But uh, yeah, no, I I don't I don't need to no no that that. But we can call it a boycott. You can call it a boycott if you want. I'm not really boycotting them, but I, I I am not actively looking to get a BMW anytime soon. I mean, 
and, and the issue is that people are just going to buy it and they're not going to question it and they're just going to pay the subscription fee and they're not going to question it. So, uh, you know, it takes it takes a real consumer advocate to fight for these things, to protect people from their own stupidity. How dumb do you have to be to sign a contract like this? Let me pay for the car, but also pay $140 subscription fee every month so I can have features on the car. And, and furthermore, <laughs> furthermore, uh, you have to buy the features if you have a BMW. Why do you have a BMW if you don't have all the features on it? Well, then buy it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Then go buy an Acura or go buy a Lexus or go buy or, something or, that has it all in there. Yep. 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 Right. Yep. Isn't that, isn't that what yep. the market will decide if somebody is really loyal to BMW and wants those services and then they'll have to pay for it. I don't think you would hope so. You, you got to think that this is a way for them to undercut the market though. Right. They can say, Oh, my car has a cheaper monthly payment base right? Your payment on the car yep. is less because you're paying a subscription fee on top of it. Right. And if you don't really want your heated seats that month, like for the summer, then maybe you don't pay for it during the summer. Maybe you just save your money <laughs> and you have your heated steering wheel in the wintertime. It's it's truly a la carte. You're turning that stuff on and off. Every time you turn on the air conditioning, it's a 50 cent charge to your subscription. And they'll have just a little slot for the quarters as you're feeding it in front of the car. This is the 21st century, man. It just has your debit card information. Oh, it okay. just says, yeah, are you going to spend the 50 cents? Uh, sure. Yeah, go you got to do the swipe. That's right. Uh, yep. Perfect. All right. That, <laughs> maybe that's the way it's going to go in the future. You never know. All right. Switching gears. What could traffic look like in the future post-COVID pandemic? When this is all over, all said and done, we have a vaccine. We're able to live as normally as we did this time last year. Will traffic levels be what they were then? Will it be worse or has traffic changed permanently? A couple of graduate students and faculty from Vanderbilt University and Cornell University looked into that and they say a rush to single occupancy vehicles could result in a large travel time increase in transit heavy communities. I think it's a very interesting topic, so I invited one of the research students to talk all about it. Will Barber is a research scientist for the Institute of Software Integrated Systems at Vanderbilt University. He has a Ph.D. in civil engineering from Vanderbilt. He already has an M.S. degree in civil engineering and a B.S. in biosystems engineering. Will has work experience from Oak Ridge National Laboratory and CSX Transportation. That's the train company. He also has received graduate funding support from Roadway Safety Institute and the Federal Highway Administration. Will's career and research interests focus on the application of novel and advanced computational techniques of transportation system engineering. Will's other interests include pedestrian and cyclist accessibility, public transit planning, and transportation policy. Will, thanks again for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. So, Will, before we get into the specifics about uh, your study, what made you and the others in the group decide to tackle this topic? Well, you know, during the COVID uh, craziness here, um, you know, we were sort of thinking through how do we uh, apply our expertise as transportation engineers and uh, and potentially help out the situation. Uh, you know, we're certainly not uh, qualified to give any medical expertise or anything. Um, but uh, but I would say we are for on the transportation side. And this was sort of uh, based on some reports coming out, uh, certainly justifiable reports about people concerned about transit safety uh, during a pandemic for a highly contagious virus. 
And that uh, that uneasiness about transit was uh, leading some people to reconsider their transportation mode choice decisions. Basically, as I understand it from reading through the entire study, is that your theory is that when everyone comes back to work, let's say we all come to back to work post-COVID, and the people who used transit before COVID, if they don't come back to the transit post-COVID, then we're going to see a lot more traffic on the roads. That's exactly right. Uh, there are a lot of variables here at play. You know, certainly you know, a lot of people are uh, are telecommuting or working from home, and that certainly is going to play a role in in the transportation breakdown of things. Um, you know, we might be in a different economic situation than we were before the pandemic. But yes, if that mode share shifts dramatically, then we could be seeing more vehicles on the road, and that could mean more traffic. Now, you say in your research. This is exactly what it says. These potential increases are avoidable. If transit ridership returns in step with trips by car, road traffic will return to normal. Monitoring closely road and transit ridership during the rebound is critical. Personally, I think it'll be a long time coming for people who were transit users pre-COVID to come back to transit. I, I don't think a bus is the first choice of transit for most people. They, they ride it because it's less expensive or it's more convenient than driving. Some do it because they do think it's, they, they think it's the right thing to do. But, but if you made those people drink some truth serum, I think they would probably admit that they would rather not ride the bus and probably be in a car or something a little bit nicer. I don't see many of even those people who are transit zealots flocking back to a bus or a train until it's so well proven that there's zero, there's nearly 0% chance of catching any disease on public transit. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a that's an entirely fair sentiment. Uh, I mean, the you know, the medical community is telling us that um, you know, being around people in close proximity in closed spaces is pretty much the, you know, the worst thing you can do for a respiratory pandemic. And uh, a bus is a, an enclosed space um, with a lot of other people potentially. And so it's it's certainly understandable that people, depending on their uh, their personal risk tolerance, aren't going to want to do that. And in fact, the the CDC has released some guidance uh, saying that driving in your personal vehicle uh, during this pandemic is a safer form of transportation. And so that that sort of the sort of personal choice of uh, transportation mode. Um, certainly, I would I would never criticize anybody for. Uh, for choosing the the option that's safest for them, um, but you, as, as soon as people start making that shift from transit to personal vehicles, and we start, uh, um, you know, you've covered on the podcast recently how vehicle volumes are starting to return to normal, um, and if we're adding more vehicles from uh, people who aren't carpooling or people who aren't taking transit, then yeah, we we are going to see greater vehicle volumes and greater travel times. And we'll get into that here in just a second, speaking with Will Barber about his study, how COVID-19 could lead to worse traffic. You did mention just a moment ago how you wouldn't, I guess, get on anybody for choosing what they think is the safest mode of transportation. Now, that's fine now, post-COVID. It would never have flown uh, that theory uh, to transportation zealots uh, six months ago, 12, 12 months ago. So do you think this is going to be an argument that maybe people could use who who want to always be in their car 
to never ride in transit again to say, well, look, uh, I I will never feel safe on a bus or a train with that many people uh, all in one one confined space. Uh, Yeah, that that is going to be uh, I think we're going to hear that argument uh, for for years to come. Um, And, you know, in fairness, we, we heard it before the pandemic. Um, you know, there were definitely people who always had safety reservations about uh, riding public transit. Um, it was probably not so much related to pandemic safety as it was sort of, um, you know, safety about being alone uh, with strangers, um, you know, potentially at night riding transit, uh, things like that. But, uh, but yeah, after after the pandemic, this is this is not going to be a, a quick rebound. Um, it's uh, these things are going to be playing out over over multiple years, and transit is going to have to adapt. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely not going to look exactly like it did pre pandemic. And, uh, you know, this is, this is exactly what we sort of were, we're getting at, uh, you, you quoted the article about, um, you know, transit needs to take the, the necessary steps to make people feel safe and to avoid, uh, you know, this, this huge mode shift away from transit. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure that we're, that we're going to, uh, remake transit in a in a you know, safe environment for everybody. If all we're doing is you know putting up a plexiglass shield here and there, um, we we might need to to think about um, more more novel and more drastic solutions. Um, and truthfully, I I don't personally know exactly what those are going to look like. Uh, but this is this is why we think this discussion is really important. And whatever those decisions are made and whatever implementations happen with these transit agencies, that's going to cost them money that they don't have right now. Absolutely. So how are they going to absorb all of these extra fees and then also have to deal with the decreased revenue from riders that are now not coming on board? That's a great question. Uh, at the at the federal level, there has been a lot of discussion about, uh, you know, serving as some stopgap funding for transit agencies who've seen ridership plummet and you know, their their costs continue to mount. Um, you know, maintenance costs don't go away just because people aren't riding uh, buses and trains. Uh, and so there's there's definitely a funding conversation that needs to happen at the political level. Uh, but one of one of the things that I that I want to point out from our from our research is that you know the the costs and the benefits of transit aren't just on the sort of the fare box, um, what we think of as you, know, you pay a dollar fifty to ride the bus or something. Um, the and this shows out with the with the congestion uh, data is that when you take people off of transit and put them in their single occupancy vehicles, uh, there is a small marginal cost to everyone else on the roadway, and that uh, that congestion doesn't come cheap when you aggregate across you know potentially a million commuters. Um, if everybody's travel times increase uh, even just a few seconds, uh, that's you know, hundreds and thousands of hours across the commuting public. And transit, you know, you start to see the value of uh, of providing higher density forms of transportation uh, in keeping travel times low for people who uh, who aren't taking transit. I'm speaking with Will Barber. He is a doctoral student in civil engineering at Vanderbilt University about his study. Uh, how COVID-19 could lead, lead to worse traffic. Now, looking at the bar chart in your uh, piece here, there, there's a couple of travel spikes. And there's really only two spikes that I could see out of the 16 cities that were listed on this graph. There's San Francisco and New York City. To much lesser extent, I guess you could add Philadelphia, Boston, Seattle to the list. 
But all the other cities see a very minor increase in overall congestion, as you were just talking about. If you put all the transit users that were pre-COVID on the roads post-COVID, even Atlanta at 32 and a, and a half minutes with everyone going back to transit, if you put all of those people not on transit, just put them on the roads, your travel time only increases to 33.3 minutes from 32.5. It actually seems like this is mostly good news that most of these cities, and even a bunch of them, are, it's so minuscule, it's maybe a tenth of a minute is your added travel time uh, to cities who really don't have much of a transit system. It actually seems like it's good news that the, the road congestion won't be maybe as bad as we think. Two things I want to point out on that. Uh, one, these are these are aggregated across uh, metropolitan statistical areas. So uh, you know, this is this includes the urban core of cities, uh, but also extends out into sort of um, I, I guess you can sort of think of this as the nebulous concept of what you would consider Atlanta or what you would consider for the New York metropolitan area. Uh, so you will see some different behavior, uh, some different uh, effects um, in the less dense areas compared to the to the denser areas. Uh, you know, even even when um, I, I think I was looking up the statistics for Denver uh, uh, earlier today, and you know, in the downtown core, there's a much higher uh, percentage of uh, of transit users. I think the the downtown partnership lists it at 43 percent. Um, so you know, when you're when you're talking about moving uh, those transit users to single occupancy vehicles in an already congested urban core, uh, those effects, um, while only a minute for the whole city, might uh, might be significantly higher in the urban core. To, to interrupt for just a second, those those people that are in the urban core, let's say within the ring of a downtown uh, area, let's say a 10 to 20 block radius of a, a really congested downtown core, whether it's Atlanta or Nashville or, or Cincinnati or anywhere, those people I don't think maybe even own cars. They, they ride the transit that is around that area maybe from a couple of stops or they take the free mall shuttle or, or the whatever transit bus a couple of stops. It's not like they're doing long-term commuting. So I think those people would easily trans, transit, in, instead of getting back on transit, uh, go into just walking or biking or get one of the Lime scooters. Absolutely. Yeah. There, this does not account. This only, our, our research only accounts for mode shifts from transit and carpool to single occupancy vehicles. It doesn't sort of cover all possible permutations of mode shifts. Because it would make more uh, and, sense for me living way out I- I- away from the city core if I did ride transit than just to ride into a car, which I probably own, which I probably wouldn't if I was living in the downtown core. Yeah, absolutely. Not every mode is available in every, in every uh, locale. Um, but and and just quickly, the second point I wanted to make, sort of on the the smaller um, travel time increases, uh, you know, even even to the tune of one minute, um, it definitely doesn't seem like a lot to to one individual. And you know, one minute on top of thirty, you know, is is may probably not even perceptible, uh, sort of on on somebody who's habituated with their commute. Um, they it might just sort of come out in the wash. Uh, but you know, this. It certainly can't be ignored that this effect could be seen across millions of commuters, and uh, that that is just that adds up to many lost hours. Um, and you know, Americans already spend a, a significant amount of time in congestion uh, and sitting in uh, traffic. So, um, anything we can do to alleviate that amount of time uh, and not increase it, 
we should we should think hard about strategies that we can uh, that we can use to keep that down. But maybe we should be losing hours anyway. Maybe we should be using that time to maybe meditate in our cars and uh, spend more time listening to a good book or to this podcast or to something else that you could also use as productive time and not necessarily quote unquote work time. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm certainly an advocate for uh, for listening to podcasts while sitting in traffic. Yeah, that that, that and, and you know I I think most of us like like you said could absorb those few minutes pretty easily. It's almost the difference of catching every uh, red light as you're waking your way to work. Well, some days you get all the red lights, some days you get all the green. Yeah, that's true. Um, everybody's commute has variability, and uh, so that that one minute could easily come out in the wash. But uh, you know when when it does start to creep into the five minute territory for. Uh, let's say people in in the more congested areas of the city, or for people in in cities where um, you know it's not one minute, the effect could be significantly higher for um, even a small shift in transit use. Uh, for for those cities and for those commuters, uh, five minutes is definitely something you'll feel. Will Barber is a civil engineering uh, at Vanderbilt University. He and some other folks wrote a piece uh, saying how could COVID-19 lead to worse traffic? And we've taken into account uh, how many commuters might be on the road in the future if they stopped riding transit altogether. Have you taken into account how many former commuters uh, in cars and on transit now might keep working from home, could work from home well after this pandemic is over. It looks like I've been here in my house for the last four months and there's no end in sight for me broadcasting from my basement. Yeah, the the telecommuting is and the work from home is is, that's a huge piece of this puzzle. Uh, I think based on the reporting we've heard from companies pledging to uh, you know, allow greater work from home capabilities and just people's sort of sentiment surveys about how they feel working from home. There is a greater interest in doing that uh, amongst the amongst the general public. Certainly not everyone. Um, I'll, I'll be quick to point that out. Uh, you know, if you ask me, I'd, I'd be interested in working from home maybe one or two more days per week. Uh, and I know that some people feel sort of that way or just they're ready to go back into their office. Uh, but for every for every day that people aren't commuting and they're staying home and working, uh, that is a piece of a car off the road essentially, and uh, and so that that telecommuting effect uh, we we've modeled in our uh, I guess it's we've called it the rebound calculator. Um, it's a tool we have up on our website uh, where you can select your city and uh, play around with these sliders for how much of the mode shift occurs from transit over to SOV. And, uh, and also how many, uh, what percentage of people currently commuting uh, are, are uh, willing to stay home and, and work remotely. And so those, those effects can be, those sort of counterbalance that mode shift from carpool and transit over to SOV. And so you know, when you're talking about 1% of the public uh, working from home, that's a, that's a large number of cars off the road. And we also have to factor, factor in, I believe, the unemployment rate. Because that really, at least for right now, as folks, and we and I've heard this, maybe you have too, how many people have not returned back to work because they are making more now in unemployment than they, they have been at their old job. So once that runs out here fairly soon, we could see maybe some more people hitting the road 
or th- those people might not ha- even have jobs still to go to because I know a lot of the bars, the restaurants in California is talking about maybe another full shutdown again. So I think the unemployment rate also could put a- another crinkle in all of this data and how many people might be or might not be on either the roads or on transit. Absolutely. We're not going to see, uh, and everybody said it from all domains, not just transportation. You know, we're not going to see a return to normal, normal being defined as uh, pre-COVID era. Uh, we're not going to see a return to normal for uh, you know, the foreseeable months. And um, that's going to be you know, a, a considerable amount of time down the road. And that that's going to be reflected in the just number of commuters with jobs that they're going to on a daily basis. So that that uh, that rate of job loss is also part of our rebound calculator, uh, and I'll, I'll caveat that with you know, we are we're not uh, labor statistic modelers, so we just we put the tool out there and and uh, you can decide what the unemployment rate is going to be as a user of the tool, um, and uh, you know we're we're not going to try to predict that for the for the labor market, um, but it, like you're saying, it, it is definitely a piece of the puzzle. Did you and the team talk about what percentage you guys thought were mass transit users before COVID and then would become single vehicle drivers and, and, and will stay a single occupancy driver after we're all vaccinated and after this is not much of a problem anymore? Do you think that even when all of this is over in the next four or five years, hopefully it'll be over in four or five years or whenever it is. Do you think, did you, did you look at any kind of percentage of who were the mass transit users would go back fully to mass transit or would just get comfortable with being in their car and stay in their car just because now that's their new normal and they like it better? We certainly talked about it internally and you know, we thought about sort of trying to uh, incorporate that in in the predictions, um, you know, the percentage of people who would leave transit and, and stay gone for, uh, for the you know, moderate term. Uh, the, the issue with trying to model that is that you know, areas are so different and, uh, and people's sentiments are so different and they can, they can change quite considerably and transit can evolve considerably uh, you know, between now and next year. Um, so we, we didn't try to pin, pin down one number on that. Uh, you know, we, we sort of leave that again uh, for the for the user to decide for themselves, uh, you know, on a city per city basis. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want that to, to sound like we're you know, trying to uh, be lazy or anything, but um, more or less just not trying to prescribe one number to a really complex personal choice. Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to. Unfortunately, it is going to be one of those complex personal choices for so many different people. There are so many different people and so many different uh, philosophies and and challenges to deal with as an individual when you're trying to either go to work or just go to school or go whatever. And for some people, they're going to feel more comfortable now this way. And you know how people are. I've always said people are like water. They will take the path of least resistance. If you make cost of parking in a downtown area, and I live outside the downtown area, if you make that cost of parking so astronomically high that it's it's more economical uh, for me to then use public transit, that's what I'll do. If you make it difficult for me to drive around a downtown area because you eliminate um, three lanes and you make one lane a walking lane, one lane a biking lane, and only one lane a traffic lane, so it's a lot more traffic, I'd probably use transit. So I think that's uh, when we're looking at all of these different factors, how 
businesses come back, how cities come back, and then trying to predict who is going to be and who won't be in transit and who will stay as a single occupancy uh, driver is going to be almost impossible. Yeah, people are certainly responsive to the price of transportation, and they're responsive to the amount of time that it takes as well. And we've seen some uh, some really interesting effects play out uh, throughout the pandemic. And, and I don't want to I don't say that as a way to sort of minimize the you know, the horrible human cost of the pandemic. But uh, in terms of transportation, we've seen some some really uh, some really interesting stuff from reallocating street space to outdoor dining uh, to widening sidewalks and adding uh, additional space for people to bike um, and you know, it's it's sort of reprioritized things uh, in a temporary sense in some cities. I could see some small towns. I was just up in one of the small towns up in uh, Colorado Mountains, and they had shut down a couple of blocks of uh, their main street, and it was nice to have a big pedestrian area to walk and to have uh, the chairs out in the street and the tables out there, and people were enjoying themselves. It, I, I don't think they would want to do that in January, uh, it would be a little different story when it's snowing like crazy up there, but uh, here in the summertime, it's pretty nice. Yeah, and yeah, that's when when we're being told to social distance and our sidewalks are only you know, six or eight feet wide. Um, that can be a challenge. So, uh, allocating more of that more of that street space for people to uh, sort of endure the pandemic safely. Uh, it's that's something that um, you know people will will go back and forth about about how we should prioritize uh, transportation projects and how we should prioritize street space. But the pandemic definitely shifts uh, some of those opinions and priorities. I'm speaking with Will Barber about his study, how COVID-19 could lead to worse traffic. I've been following the traffic during and after the shutdown, and you mentioned this a little while ago. And I have access to traffic volume data from Traffic Karma. And interestingly, the morning and afternoon commutes are still, for the most part, lighter than pre-COVID. But they are coming back every single week, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But what I've also been seeing, and this is this is just about every city nationwide, is that traffic during the midday, from about 9 to 3 every day, is 15 to 20% more than pre-COVID. It, it, it really is an interesting trend to, to see how traffic has been shifting ever since the shutdown and how traffic is starting to come back. Is this a trend that you might think is going to become a, maybe a new normal or something that will work its way out once we start uh, seeing more people returning back to businesses, we get a vaccine and, and people start returning to maybe some type of normal life? I, I definitely think that effect could persist in, in some form. The you know, Just the dynamic of having people at, you know, working from home and uh, you know, not sort of sequestered in an office during the middle of the day definitely opens up some of those midday trips. And, uh, and that's, that's a really interesting effect, like you're saying, that uh, you know, has manifested pretty immediately. Uh, in terms of you know, it continuing, um, I think people are going to sort of like this, uh, this ability to move around freely in the middle of the day and uh, you know, when congestion is, is considerably less. And from a transportation engineering perspective, uh, you know, congestion, uh, you know, we sort of don't notice it until things really grind to a halt. And that really happens at the morning and afternoon peaks. And so if you're able to take all that demand and redistribute it more evenly throughout the day, 
then we uh, sort of flatten out those uh, those peak congestion moments and decrease the amount of time that people are spending uh, sitting around in, in congestion. Yeah, and I've talked about that in the past where I think most of the commuting and, and people's lifestyles have been dictated by their children and the schedule of the school system because you have to drop off your kids at a certain time the they have to jump on the bus at a certain time then those parents are on the road heading to work they have to of course stop and get some coffee first and then they are heading to work <laughs> but everybody is on the road at about the same time so if you can stagger those schedules a bit then maybe we could see better traffic flow throughout the day for sure uh many of our roadways are not designed for the peak hour of the day they're sort of designed for the uh the daily uh, average traffic uh, distributed across uh, you know, a considerable portion of the day. So when you take, you know, sort of the, let's say the, you know, two o'clock hour and you double that uh, to get the five o'clock hour, um, our roadway, our roadways, many of them were designed for something in between there. And, uh, and the, those morning and afternoon peaks just are really crippling from a gridlock perspective. You see this at the uh, sort of at the macro level with our highways and even at the micro level, all the way down to you know, cars filing into a parking garage. If you spread those people out over, uh, you know, let's say, a two hour commute period instead of everybody rushing in there at 755 in the morning, uh, then there's less less congestion uh, on all at every juncture. How has your commute changed since covid if you have much of a commute at all? That's a great question. I normally I do a combination of biking to my office and driving. Uh, it really depends on um, uh, I would say the the weather in Nashville. But uh, at the moment, I'm working entirely from home. Uh, our our lab was not uh, is not one of the priorities to get back on campus. Um, we can complete uh, all of our work remotely. So I'm I'm sitting here at home in my uh, makeshift office. And our plans to return to campus are, um, I would say, uh, we're indefinitely from home at the moment. Yeah, because you're in Vanderbilt, just outside of Nashville, one of those cities that has really seen tremendous growth pre-COVID. What, anecdotally, have you noticed about the change in traffic around Nashville since COVID to now? I'd say the, the bottom of the trough, when traffic reached its minimum, uh, was was a pretty dramatic transformation. Um, I mean, you could walk around almost any area in the city. You could walk in the middle of the street, and it seemed perfectly normal because it was a ghost town. Um, and the highways were just like you've never seen them before because we're so used to just seeing this uh, gigantic traffic volume and uh, sort of constant off and on congestion. And suddenly everything's flowing, uh, flowing free. And that, uh, that was certainly a temporary situation. Um, our traffic volumes have, have rebounded pretty significantly. And uh, around Nashville, we you know, were sort of a major freight corridor uh, for, uh, for uh, freight trucks moving um, in various directions through the city. So uh, that has definitely sort of served as a baseline uh, traffic volume for us. Um, but things are, things are definitely picking back up. And you, you see it uh, bearing out in the neighborhoods as well, um, where there were no cars previously. Uh, <laughs> we're now uh, getting our rude awakening. 
Yeah, uh, I think everybody around the country is seeing pretty much the exact same thing. What do you want people who read your study or read your piece take away from your research? Uh, I think it, it goes back to uh, sort of a, both a personal choice and uh, the, the sort of macro effects. Um, again, we're, we're not going to tell anybody uh, what decision to make for themselves. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when you aggregate all of everybody's personal decisions about what mode is best for them, and you know, if, if that ends up in a scenario where transit is losing mode share, uh, across the board, then we really need to invest in strategies to uh, to remedy that. Um, and and I'm not saying force people into transit, but uh, if, like you're saying, with decreased transit funding from the fare box, uh, we need they need the resources to uh, to uh, to survive this pandemic, um, just as some of our other industries do, and uh, they they might end up needing to look uh, quite a bit different in the years to come as they have previously. Um, and, and that, even though that is a significant cost, uh, the cost of doing nothing is additional travel time on our roadways. Um, and that, that additional travel time is not uniform across the country, uh, but um, it, especially in certain areas, people will feel it. And certainly when you aggregate those effects over the course of a city, um, that's a, a lot of a lot more hours lost to traffic congestion potentially. Well, I'm going to post the link to this research uh, to the description of this podcast. So as you're listening, you can click on that link and then get to more of this information and these calculators that Will has been talking about. But if there was something uh, else that somebody wanted some information about or they wanted to get some more details about this, Will, how can they do that? Uh, so like you said, the article is on our website. Um, I encourage anyone if they have uh, additional questions about the research, um, certainly uh, uh, contact contact the research team about that. Uh, this has been this research has been covered in a number of outlets. So uh, especially, um, I think uh, probably San Francisco and New York have gotten the most play, and there there have been very robust discussions about uh, how to navigate this uh, this tr- uh, transit and COVID future. Um, so if you're if you're curious about reading some more about those conversations, uh, certainly take a look at articles about those topics. I would imagine those two, as we mentioned earlier, would be the most because they are very transit dependent, especially San Francisco and obviously uh, New York City and in and around Manhattan. Both areas have seen dramatically lighter traffic volumes, and it has been odd to see some of the live video from New York City. When you're looking at Times Square, and usually it's jam-packed full of cars and people, and how open it really is right now. Yeah, and uh, I I can't say when that's going to return, but uh, I I think some of our urban spaces, just like transit, might have to evolve and look different. Some of our urban spaces may have to as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I I was it just popped in my head about how my grandparents used to talk about the Great Depression, and that was such a big, important uh, part of their life, and how they then lived their life the rest of their lives, and how they would save things, and they would always be switching off the line. I mean, it was always about, because they lived through the Great Depression and how impactful it was on their overall uh, day-to-day uh, operations, and they kept kept it going, 
I wonder if we're going to see maybe remnants of that. This is our Great Depression. And how are we going to live over the next 20 or 30 or 40 years and then tell our grandkids and <laughs> about that? And, and are they going to say, oh, you know, my, my, my grandparents were living through the great COVID and now they still do this. Yeah, doesn't it doesn't it seem weird that you know a few months ago we wouldn't have thought twice about sitting sitting down on a bus or a train and you know people right next to you uh, just it seemed perfectly normal and and now um, it just it seems like the craziest thing in the world to go sit in a in a box with uh, you know little airflow and a bunch of strangers yeah. uh, so it's it's going to take some time for those uh, for everyone's sentiments to, to turn around, but there are going to certainly be lasting effects. Or a baseball game. I mean, I was yeah. watching the baseball <laughs> uh, baseball game yesterday, and there was just nobody in the stands. It was just weird and creepy. Yeah, even <laughs> during spring training, you have you have some fans around. Uh, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen baseball being played in a, in a ghost town. Yeah, so weird. All right, well, thanks again, Will Barber. He's a doctoral student there in civil engineering at Vanderbilt University, and you can catch his study, How COVID-19 Could Lead to Worse Traffic. Will, thanks for spending so much time here and, uh, and giving us some great insights of what you think uh, traffic's going to be like and congestion and transit's all going to be like in the, uh, in the future post-COVID. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. All right. There goes Will. Thanks a lot again, Will, for uh, being here on the show. There are so many variables that can't really be predicted right now that will change the face of traffic and transit for years and years to come. Life changed for many years during and just after the Spanish flu pandemic back 100 years ago. But really, what do we remember from our history classes and the book, The Great Gatsby, about the 1920s. That it was the era of great prosperity and fun and parties and Yahoo, right? The swinging 20s, right? Isn't that what we... I mean... Until until 1929 when the Depression hit. But before that, before the country was in a bad way there at the Depression, it was roaring, the roaring 20s. No, I, I generally remember the 20s as setting up the Depression. Like you do. I think that's how the that's how history remembers it, right? You have the twenties, and you have this era of, you know, you call it great prosperity. I think you call it fake prosperity, right? Because it was so much built on debt and these assumptions about the stock market at that time, and that and it set up this inevitable crash in twenty nine. Then in this entire lost dust bowl generation, right? So that's why I'm saving, trying to save as much as I can now. Get out of debt now, and then by uh, 2029, when hopefully we don't see another Great Depression number two, then uh, then then we'll be in a better shape, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Get your canned goods now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was talking to uh, Will about that. Is is my grandparents would talk about the Great Depression and live their life well, after the Great Depression, still thinking that it could happen again, or they, they were almost still reliving it and, and still in that mode because it was such a monumental part of their life. And so I, I, and I, and I wonder if that is also going to carry forward to the younger generation or even us who are going to maybe change the way we live. And you're going to see people wearing masks for the next 20 or 25 mm-hmm. years because they just mm-hmm. don't trust it. It, well, or just going out less altogether or a lot more jobs that were working in an office that are work from home. 
I, I mean, I, that seems like the lasting impact of this thing, if it's going to be anything, is that a lot of jobs that you used to think, oh, I can only do this in an office setting. We've learned that you do not have to be in an office to do those jobs. You can, in fact, do them from home and you can do them very effectively and perhaps more effectively. And so, you know, that more than anything. And then, you know, you talked about this generation. There's so many people of my generation, speaking for people in their early 30s, late 20s, uh, you know, we already got hit once. We The Great Recession happened while most of us were in college and we were really scraping for several years and understand what it's like to struggle. And so I, I think for a lot of us, this just feels like you get, you get slapped in the face for a second time. And a lot of the habits that we built during the Great Recession uh, have really served us well right now. Yeah. And the habits that we built as the result of the Great Recession have served us well now. So it'll be interesting to see when traffic will come back, if transit will come back. It's really all about people feeling safe to get back on a bus or a train. And if they feel safe not only riding it and not getting something by touching something, but picking something up from somebody else because they're so packed full of people. Yeah, I mean, those days mm -hmm. maybe are long gone of being on a jam-packed bus that's taking you to a football game. Yep. Well, but yeah, I tell you what, in a city like Denver and in a state like Colorado, where they are screwed in terms of transit, this may be the sort of state where you see innovations and evolutions to convince more people to get on the train. And whether that's plexiglass and really separating seats, I don't know, but it, it, they're going to have to do something to convince people to ride. But that'll and take it'll be money. interesting to see it'll what that take is. Money. A lot of money and we'll yeah. see how that happens. Uh, and, you know, we were also talking, I wanted to find somebody from when we, pre-COVID, we talked about, I think it was Kansas City was going to try doing free transit. So I, I mm -hmm. wonder how that's going. And maybe we could find a, uh, try a, a reporter there in Kansas City and ask him if they're still doing it, if their ridership has just evaporated, how they're eating all those costs now, especially post-COVID. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know. I mean, maybe it worked out better for them because they were budgeting not to have any revenue from ridership anyway. Right. Yeah, so whatever so. riders are on there is just gravy. Maybe so. Maybe so. If you want to get a hold of the program, you sure can. Here's the way to do it. You can either leave us a voicemail, which is still up and running, but I haven't heard from anybody anytime soon. 303-832-0217. Uh, <laughs> you can also drop a line uh, via email at driving you crazy podcast at gmail.com those links are of course on the description of this uh, show as well as that link to the study that will was uh, and i were talking about uh, so you can also get uh, the full details if you want to just click that link that's there in the description you can also get our twitter pages uh for joseph and myself uh, right there on the description as well it's all convenient for you our new spotify listeners I was going to say that description is right there on Spotify, folks, where you can now find us. You can subscribe to us. You can follow us. You can rate, review, repeat. Perfect. Because I usually say rinse, review, and repeat, and I know that's completely wrong. All right. Thanks Definitely again no for, rinsing. <laughs> thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I uh, am honorary Canadian Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>